Welcome back, Immigrant Nation. Another week, another new episode. I'm your host, Aaron Deliosa, and this is An Immigrant's Life Podcast. And you can reach us on all the social media. Our handle is An Immigrant's Life, and you can email us at animmigrantslife at yahoo.com. If you or someone you know wants to come on the podcast and tell their stories, you can send a message through those different pathways. And for the new ones, this podcast is where we engage in meaningful conversations and share stories of people impacted by immigration. I'm here to listen and foster discourse that encourages exploration of diverse perspectives, leaving you, my listeners, to form your own conclusions through storytelling. So this Sunday, my team and I, that I coach with my youngest, played our playoffs. We won the semifinals and then went to the finals, but unfortunately, we lost. It was hard because we were the favorites. We were the number one team. We only lost two games and we played, I believe, 15 games. And those two games weren't even complete. It was hard, you know, failing. As much as you want to sugarcoat it, it we failed, you know. It was hard seeing my child crying and just devastated because he really put his heart out. He was amazing. I was so proud of him. I mean, he played so hard, but unfortunately, there was a lot of factors that didn't play for us. And, you know, it is what it is. A lot of lessons was learned this season, especially from me on my side. I've been coaching for a long time, and that's the beauty of coaching. You always learn about new things, and we just have to improve, you know? Overall, was it a failed season? Not really. I think we did a great job. Um, despite all the challenges, we were really a good team. And, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I thought we were going to win the championship, but, you know. It is what it is. I'm proud of the boys. I'm proud of my kid. And I think I'm proud of myself, too, for making those boys believe that they can do things that they thought they're incapable of. And I hope I made them better people, and I hope I imparted some food for thoughts for them that they would carry for the rest of their lives. And so, yeah, so that's the personal update. How about let's talk about this week's episode? In this episode, we are joined by a brilliant futures designer. Together, we delve into the future of AI, discussing how to prepare for its impact, avoid purposeless technologies, and redefine progress. You'll hear about her personal experiences in Prague as a Filipina-American, discover her workshops with an innovative process that she calls the Phenomenon Method and gain insight into her perspective on enjoying the present while preparing for the future. So continue with what you're doing and immerse yourself in this conversation while I get straight to the point. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Isa Dalawa Tatlo, today's guest is a futures designer that aims to create positive futures by designing through joy. Everyone, please welcome Ruth Isabel Guerra. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Before we move on, why don't you tell the Immigrant Nation where they can reach you or if you want to promote anything? Sure. Um, so I'm pretty active on my Instagram and you can find me at uh, Ridgera, so R-I-D-G-U-E-R-A. Um, I post mostly videos on like design and design thinking, futures thinking. So if you're interested in any of those areas, definitely find me there. Um, I also host workshops, um, which are open to the general public. So it doesn't matter where you are, they're hosted in English. You can register for those workshops on my Instagram. So basically just find me on Instagram. <laughs> Excellent. I like figuring out what people's handles are on social media. I'm going to guess that D in your read is your middle name. Yes. Okay, good. I'm smart Correct. sometimes, you know? <laughs> By the way, your last name is probably one of my favorite last names of all time. It's oh, yeah? so badass. <laughs> I know. There's actually a funny story with that. Like my sister, so I have an older sister, and we were both um, in the same sorority mm. in college. And my, like sorority nickname was World War II because <laughs> I was the second Gera coming to the sorority so what? yeah <laughs> that is so clever I love that yeah yeah my sister came up with it she really fought for that one <laughs> okay that's cool and people just start calling you like WW1 or 2 I was just like something to put on in like a shirt you know just like yeah, a fun yeah. thing <laughs> I love that yeah but which part of Philippines were you from so my mom is from uh, the kind of Manila area. Um, she spent time in Manila, Manila but also Los Baños. Ooh, and then my dad is from Batangas. Mm. Oh, beautiful so, places, man. Yeah. I but funny, I haven't actually been back since we left uh, the Philippines. So it's been when like... When did you leave? Uh, over 20 years ago, like 24 wow. years ago. And I, I just, I haven't been able to go back. <laughs> you, you don't have the connection or? Well, part of it was like timing. It was like with school. And also we want, obviously you want to be there when uh, like your cousins are on break. And the breaks in the U.S. and the Philippines never align because summer, winter, you know. Um, and then it was just like, with work and then my my family went there when right after I had my wedding and it was like I couldn't take more time off after my wedding and it's just like was never lined up but I'm hoping in the next like year or two I get to go back um mm -hmm. that would be awesome yeah you have to recharge that ancestral batteries you know exactly yeah <laughs> are you close to the culture um, I would say more like a, a Filipino American. Uh, it, it, I definitely like still try to keep up with things on social media, like, especially with like politics right now, you know, wanting Why to... would you stress yourself? <laughs> I think it's important, you know, I think it's important to know what's happening there. And like the history, you know, the Philippines has gone through such tumultuous political history and it's like kind of happening again. I think it's like really important to talk about because we're seeing rewriting of history happening in the Philippines and, you know, so we need people to like actually say this is not how it happened at all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it's, it's just, yeah, it's just good to be in the know. Yeah, I, I get it. How old were you when you moved to the States? I was eight. 
Mm. Um, and now, now I'm 30, so it's been a while. <laughs> you know, and now you're in Prague. I'm in Prague. Yes. When did you move there? Um, my husband and I have been here f over two years now. I'd say two and a half years. So we moved here because I went back to school um, for my grad program, and I studied design here. Um, and actually, my husband is a dual citizen of the U.S. and Poland. Um, so it was quite easy for us to, well, relatively so, but it was easier for us to move here. And I didn't have to worry about like student visa and like I could still work here and stuff. So that's why we're still here, even though I've already graduated um, and no, not in not in a rush at all to go back to the U.S. <laughs> we're going to take our sweet time in Europe. Um, so, yeah. So in the end, you're planning to go back or? I think so. I mean, both of our like immediate families are there. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, my sister, and then his mom and dad and his siblings. So it just makes sense to be closer to family. And we don't really know many people here in Prague. Um, so yeah, eventually we'll slowly make our way back to the U.S., I think. Yeah. I don't understand those people like, oh, you know, I don't want to hang out with my family. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, that's your people, man. You know, I think it changes the older you get. Like now that I'm like thinking about starting a family, you know, we don't have kids, but I, it, we're definitely talking about it seriously now. It's like you want your kids to grow up with family. You know, you want them, you want like them. We would like for our kids to be trilingual. I want them to speak Tagalog. He wants them to speak Polish, you know. And like, what better way to do that than having all the family together and and have our parents be speaking to our kids and hang out with our kids and like understanding their culture. So, yeah, I think when I if you asked me this question, maybe like 10 years ago, I'm like, oh, I'm like moving abroad permanently, you know, starting my life over. But I think the older that I get, I'm like, I want to be closer to my family for sure. Mm, for sure. Oh, by the way, just uh I guess an advice that you never ask for. If you want your kid, your future kid to have to learn Tagalog, it's going to be you. The mom has to be pushing yeah, I it. Know. it. Like the, you know that saying, mother tongue? Yeah. That means so much. <laughs> Literal. Yeah. It literally, if my mom, the mom speaks whatever language, the kids will speak it. Because I speak Tagalog to my kids when I was younger. This idiot didn't pick anything. <laughs> You never tried to like force them, just like, I'm not switching to English. I'm just going to speak to you and you have to deal with it. The thing, it's also obviously my fault because I always loved English. Even when in the Philippines, yeah. I was like, I want to, I, I felt like I expressed myself better in English. Yeah. For me, like I can understand Tagalog really well. Speaking is is harder for me. I think if I really, for, I think it's more of an anxiety thing. Like I feel like I don't sound good speaking Tagalog and then I start freaking out and I'm like, I'll just switch to English. It's way easier. But my parents, they were very, they always spoke to me in Tagalog. So I, I, I understand it. And now even here in Prague, when I, when I hear, when I hear the titas, you know, the chismes from the titas, I can hear from like a mile away. And I'm like, I'm glad I still know this language. <laughs> mm. I love, I love what you say that because, you know, here in Quebec, we speak French, English, and then there's different languages, right? Yeah. I love how it could be the faintest sound. And you know the code and you understand, oh, they're speaking Tagalog or they're speaking English, you know? Yeah. If you understand the code, you're good. Like, it yeah. could be the famous sound. 
Yeah. And I think to me, that's the test of fluency. Like that's how I know I, I still like very much comprehend Tagalog when I can hear it in like a huge crowd and I know exactly what they're saying from like a mile away. Mm. So, yeah. I know you're a designer. Does that fluency with different language help you? And how do you apply that to your designs? Yeah, I think it's more of like kind of the multicultural background because now living in Prague, I've lived on four continents now because I was actually born in Australia. Um, so born in Australia, I grew up in the Philippines till I was eight and then, you know, spent the rest of the time growing up in the States and now I'm here. So I think when I approach design, it's really from a lens of like different identities and different cultures and thinking about how the designs we create affect different types of people. Um, so yeah, I think I think the kind of multiculturalness really, really like shows up in in a lot of the work that I do and the things that I think about. Mm -hmm. Always having more perspective always always help. What exactly do you design? Do you design signs or what do you exactly do? Yeah, so my master's program was in future design. Um, it's a combination of. Uh, design thinking. So there's kind of this process of design that is quite popular in the design world, and it's that design thinking process. So it's a combination of that and also futures thinking. So looking 5, 10, 15, 20 years into the future and thinking about what are our needs in the future, but also what are our future challenges and trying to come up with designs now in order to address future us, basically. Um, and I think I think it's like so relevant, especially right now, we're facing so many like complex world issues. Like we're facing climate issues. We're also, uh, we're also facing um, like with COVID, right? It just made all of the problems so much more apparent and worse. Um, so I think we're kind of in, and with technology as well, with AI, and that's a whole separate subject. But <laughs> we're facing a lot of um, issues and things right now. So my, and all of that as a designer is in design research. So rather than um, having, rather than me designing objects or things myself, I'm facilitating processes, methods, tools in order for um, communities and basically everyone to be able to design futures that we want. Um, so I, I see my work as more of a facilitator um, rather than kind of more the traditional designer. Mm. How do you get end up doing like future designs master? I'm like, I don't, bro, before I got to your account, I'm like, there's a thing called future design? Me, I thought like people just design things, you know? Yeah, and you know, it's funny. I actually got a DM just today that was like, Hey, I just found your account. I think it's really cool, but I have no idea what it is you do. Like, I have really, this is like over my head, um, but I want to learn more. And I was the same way too. When I, like, before I started looking at master's programs, I thought design really was like graphic design, UX, UI design, like product design, and like, that's it, right? But the whole like design thinking world was foreign to me. And I was like, you can actually just be a, like a thought person in this and like have different ideas of how to do design. And, and that's a discipline in itself. Like there are other things called like speculative design. So what they do is they just 
it's kind of in tandem with like futures design. So they they speculate on what the future, a possible future could be. And uh, sometimes it's like designing objects from the future. So like there's a subset of that design fiction that's like, let's design objects that could exist in the future based on like what's happening now and the trends that are happening now in order for us to reflect on this and think about do we like this future? You know, how did we get here? How does it affect other things in our future? Um, so yeah, there's a whole world of design that I'm still learning myself because there's just like, yeah, endless possibilities there. Mm -hmm. Like when we first uh, exchanged DMs, when you posted that design thing for the for the sidewalk there, that so it's not, uh -huh. I forgot yeah. the word. It's the curb cut. Yeah, I'm like, people think of this shit. People, me, yo, this is how I thought, okay? I was like, you know, I mean, it's common sense. Just do do the thing, you know, like somebody explain it to someone. But you have to explain it in a very intelligent way. <laughs> you know, I get so much crap on that post, though, sometimes, because people are like, curb cuts suck. There's better ways to do this. And I'm like, you've missed the point. Like, there are people who didn't even know this existed. Okay. So that's the whole point of this video is like, hey, design is all around us. Like, the things that we take for granted every single day, someone had to create that. Someone had to like fight for that. That was like a whole design choice. So, yeah, I, part of the reason why I made that video is reflecting my own journey in design is like having my eyes open to things that were designed for people and for reasons and I just never knew and I always took for granted. So I think it's important that we open our eyes to that stuff. Yeah, like you helped me a lot like looking at things. Like my reference to you was the 99% Invisible podcast, yeah. which I love that podcast. Sometimes it gets crazy, but most of the time it's awesome. Like, cause they talk about like simple designs. Yeah, there's an episode on the curb cut. Did you hear that one? No, I haven't. Oh, I, li I listened to it actually recently and I'm like, this is still good. Like I'm still <laughs> learning stuff in this episode and I did a whole video on the curb cut, but there's like a whole other thing. They even, they even said, this might be interesting to you. Um, you know how in like a uh, football or American Canadian football when like they huddle, right? And like they had this group huddle. Did you know that came from um, a practice for uh, universities that had um, deaf students so they like they when they s would talk to each other they had to sign right and so in order for the other team not to see their signing they huddled mm. and the practice just stayed because That's there's no reason to huddle if you're like all the way across the field they can't hear what you're saying yeah right like, i mean you can sign but then you other people will see it yeah, but the signing, other people can see it, but the talking, no. So, like, abled people, you could just not huddle and just talk, right? But the the practice of huddling still stayed. I had no idea. And that was from the 99 uh, Invisible episode. And I was like, I'm still learning stuff all the time. Yeah, I, me too, man. I love those little things. And, like, you think it's just it happened? Like, a great example. I watched this documentary about this guy who, in, quote unquote, invented the jump shot in basketball. So if you don't know, like someone will jump and shoot the ball, right? Uh-huh, yeah. Entire my whole, whole life, I've been seeing that move. Yeah. You would think that came with the game, right? Yeah. Nope, but? there's a guy that invented the stupid move. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that like, it opens your mind to like, 
the simple thing, like crosswalks. When you look at the crosswalk, you know when you press the button yeah. to cross, there's like uh, Braille there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, yo. <laughs> there's also the ticking, right? Mm, yes, the ticking too. So then which you I know. Used, it used to drive me nuts, but then like, oh, this is for the blind. Yeah, but honestly, it's actually good too. If you're like waiting at a crosswalk and you're on your phone, you don't even have to look. You just hear the ticking and you're whoa, like, whoa, whoa. I have to stop and walk. You should not be on the phone crossing the crossing I'm not, the road. but I'm waiting on the curb, right, for it to turn green. And I'm on my phone, and then I hear it, and then I put my phone away and walk. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you put your phone <laughs> away. All right. No, I, I, I actually do. really don't. I, I'm, I did a whole research study on that, actually, in my master's program of accidents that people get when they're using their phone. And everyone, I interviewed like 10 students and all of them said that they've gone into mild to moderate accidents while on their phone. One girl even ran into, there's this thing here in Prague where cars will park on the sidewalk and she ran into, literally ran into a car while she was on her phone. And I asked them, has this changed the way you use your phone when you're walking around the city? And all of them say no, right? So I'm like, there's a design thing here because we're so addicted to our phones that we will get into physical accidents, actually hurt ourselves, and we still won't change our behavior. Like, <laughs> so, Drug addicts. Yeah. I know. <laughs> we're all drug addicts. <laughs> Obsessed with our phones, for I, sure. I, like, You know, like, I, ha- I hate it and... It's like part of your life now, you know? Yeah. What's your opinion about those older people that says, oh, you know, back in the days, we don't have those. We just use TV or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I feel like every generation has this. Like, when AI will become like a more common thing, we're going to be like, back in the day, we did this by hand. And now you're just staring at a computer screen to do it for you, you know? So I I think that like every generation has this. And, you know, interestingly, my mom uh, teaches me stuff about the iPhone all the time, all the time. (laughs) And so I think there's like a capacity for older people to to learn this stuff. Um, It's just like a mindset thing. But I don't ever discount like older people when it comes to technology because my mom all the time is like, "Do you know you can do this?" and I'm and I she has to like give me tutorials to use my <laughs> iPhone sometimes. You should take a video of her and just put it on YouTube, make money off her mom. You know? <laughs> Sorry. And honestly, I was like, you could make a like a whole like TikTok account with you showing other people. Like they would love this. A sixty-five-year-old woman like showing people how to use like new technologies for sure yeah it's a it's a niche yeah (laughs) okay what do you think of that is that because most of the people that use iphone half of the stuff that iphone can do we don't even know and i've been using iphone since iphone 2 is that bad design or bad marketing well i think it's like i think it could be both i think there's some things that I definitely didn't know I could do that my mom showed me. So I think that's just bad marketing on their end. But also, like, maybe they're putting in features that people don't need, right? So it's like, are you just doing this to just for the sake of innovating and to look cool? Or is this actually, like, solving a problem? Or you're just trying to solve a problem that never existed to begin with? This is how I feel about, this is a whole other tangent, but this is how I felt about the folding televisions, 
you know about this? It's like for a while, the electronics industries were like obsessed with creating TVs that folded. Like, yeah. And it, the whole reason was like, oh, you know, you move, you know, if you live in an apartment, you're always moving apartments. It's easier for you to move your TV. And it's like, okay, you move once every few years. Like, it's not like the rest of the time it's sitting there stationary. Like, I don't need to fold my. Yeah. So there's some things with technology. I'm like, you guys are just trying to make it look cool and there's no yeah. purpose for this. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Going to your point about TVs. Remember a few years ago, they used to have this like curved TV. Yeah. I'm like, and my, one of my friends bought it and he was like, so excited. Look, look at this curve. You can see on the side. Perfect. First of all, where would you sit on the side? Sit in the front. Hello. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you need to position your sofa differently. <laughs> exactly. I just, I hate bad designs. Like, like recently, my uh, my mom was like, "Oh, I'm thinking of buying the foldable phone." I'm like, "Yeah, why? <laughs> why? Why? What's the point?" Yeah, well, I don't. You know, I don't get cool. the foldable thing. I really don't. It's like it's not an issue for me to. Want. I never, never in a million years did I ever think, "Man, could I fold my electronic device?" Never. I think it's more nostalgia. Aha, uh -huh, for the flip phones. Yeah, for the flip yeah, phones. Yeah, but then just bring the flip phones back. So that's an option for people. I don't know why you're trying to like do both. <laughs> exactly. Like I always talk about that, that you cannot have progress and expect that everything stays the same. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, you have to move forward. And unfortunately, when you move forward, you have to let go of other things. Yeah. But also it's like, I don't think we need to constantly, this whole idea of progress, like we think, oh, the next new thing, the next piece of technology, that's progress. And I'm like, is it? Because it also could just cause more problems for us. And is that really progress, right? So like with the iPhone, it's like, yeah, it's great. It's more efficient. You basically have a computer wherever you go and it's like convenient. But at the same time, it causes addiction, right? Like we can't be off our phones anymore. Social media is a whole other conversation. Like, is that really progress, you know? So I, I think like oftentimes we try to uh, solve problems with technology and I don't necessarily think it always should be the technology route. Like there's really, there's a lot of analog ways. Like the curb cut is a great analog like example that you can like fix issues that doesn't have to be high tech stuff. Like it's, it's so mundane. The fact that people don't notice it means it's good design, right? Great design. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Like the other day I was looking at a stop sign and it's like, you know, stop signs are red. Those are great designs. For me, like, like going to your point that you don't have to have it digitalized to be a better design. Yeah. When you're designing personally or thinking about design, what's your main priority? For me, it's to include non-designers in the process. Because I think designers, like based on what your training is, what your background is, you have so many biases that go into design and and what you think is good design might not actually be true for the people who are affected by it. So my big thing is like in order for us to actually include as many perspectives in the design process, we have to include non-designers in this um, in every stage of the process. So the people who are actually going to use this, the people who are going to be affected by this, there are unintentional consequences and impacts of the things that we create. So we need to kind of 
think ahead on that. Mm. You mentioned AI. How can we better prepare ourselves for AI? To learn more about it. <laughs> really and truly, like, I think there's a misconception that it's like, oh, if I, if I'm not like in tech or like, I, this isn't going to affect me, it's going to affect everybody. The only things I think it won't affect are like the kind of manual labor. I don't see AI. There's, I don't think there's going to be a lot of AI in actual like big machinery. The reason being is it's very costly. I think right now all of the funding is going towards like software AI. So just making computers more efficient rather than building like robots and stuff. You will see that, but I think more attention is going the other way. So I think it's going to affect all of us directly and indirectly. So the only way to um, help yourself is to learn more about it and learn how it can affect you so you know what to do, whether that's like adopting some AI tools and what you do so then you're ahead of the curve because, you know, maybe the market is going to demand these skills now um, and you don't want to be behind or if it's something that you don't like to be able to like get other people to know about this and like rally around that maybe this isn't good and we should all be actually talking about this um, and drawing attention to it. So I think it's just educating yourself as much as you can with AI. And there's so much out there. I mean, literally you just go on YouTube, you can find people talking about AI. It's the mm. best one, I think. Yeah, I agree. By the way, for the record, I love chat GPT, bro. Like, <laughs> That's the sh if I have to write something that I'm so lazy, yeah. I'll just type in words. I'm like, yo, write this as an email, whatever. Bam. Yeah, no, I use ChatGPT every single day. Like, 100%. It's, it's great. And it's also for like brainstorming, like as a designer coming up with ideas and stuff. And it's like, you don't always have someone here to talk to. So you just go on AI and you're like, okay, help me develop this idea. And then you get all of these options for ideas. You know, so yeah, I think ChatGPT is is great for kind of yeah having 100%. something there. Like uh, I've, I have a friend that works for a, a technological company. They they program like those chargers for the electric cars. Yeah, and sometimes he's programming, and he says if he wants to focus on the most complicated one. And the easy one, he just wants to like whatever. He'll just type it in on ChatGPT. I'm like, yo, fix this. Yeah. And it will fix it. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm like, yo, you can do that? Is it? Yeah. yeah, dude, I do it all the time. I hear coders too. Like if they have a problem with their code, they just will paste it in and it can kind of help them find and like refine their code. So why not make your life easy? That's what I, yeah, exactly. And you I know? think. I, I think it's useless to completely push back at AI. It's going to happen, you know? So it's just a matter of how we use it that's really important. And if we can find a way to make our lives easier by using it, why not? Yeah. yeah. Referencing 99% Invisible, there was a episode about Laudites, people that hate technology mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. the future. It's This, this, is, this is what it is. Like, are yeah. we going to push back or are we going to like, this is going to happen and let's find, like you said, figure out a way to make it help us out rather than be detrimental. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the key there, I think, you know, but at the same time, I have to like talk about that. It, it Right now, AI is being developed by like business people and business people with a lot of power and a lot of clout. Right. So 
you know, we have to figure out a way to like democratize how we create AI because it could be really dangerous if only a few people or even a few nations are really the ones developing AI to serve just a small group, right? Um, so yeah, I think I think to be able to know more about AI is actually empowering as just a normal citizen because you're aware of what's happening. You can talk about it. You know, you have, you. it's almost like you can give um, like, like some validity in what you're saying, right? I, I feel this way because I, I know X, Y, and Z. So I think it's like so beneficial for us to just like, know more about it and research it on our own um even if we're like non-tech people <laughs> oh yeah for sure like like teachers yeah you know like elementary or high school teachers like how can this help you because kids will use chat gpt yeah. without a doubt for sure and it's happening you're, you're seeing it happen you know and i think like if i was a teacher my approach would be okay in the workplace like I use ChatGPT in my work. Most people use AI tool, some sort of AI tool in their work. You're not actually preparing students for the real world if you're preventing them from using AI. So my approach to teaching probably now is to figure out, okay, what is a good way for me to teach, to allow my students to use AI, but use it in a smart way, right? So rather than completely banning AI, like lean into it. You know, and like figure out a way to like teach AI that works for you and works for the students too. Hmm. I saw this online. I don't know what this lady is, but she was talking about this pretty much the same topic. And she's her suggestion was if you want the students to write an essay about something, let's say, I don't know, the mountain, ask them to use ChatGPT and then ask them to edit that whatever ChatGPT wrote and write, uh, edit it to their voice. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yo, that's a great one, one step. It's, is it the answer 100%? No, but it's one step. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's one, yeah, it's one like new approach that is better than just telling it, hey, write me this essay, right? There's at least a thought process happening. I've heard other teachers also do this thing where if you use AI, you have to write something separate that says how you used AI. So then there's, it's kind of like how when you write a research paper and you use sources from somewhere else, you have to then tell the teacher what parts used AI and how you did it. So then there's like more of a thought process learning there, right? You're, you're asking them to critically think about how they're using the tools. Mm. Speaking of different ways of learning, on a different uh, topic. You went to the States to study, and then now you went to Prague to study. What are the differences that you see in the educational system between the two? Well, one, I think it's the cost. <laughs> a huge reason why I went here, I I'm going to be just perfectly honest here, two years of a master's program here, even with the relocation, like literally uprooting my life and starting over here was cheaper than a one-year program. And like way cheaper, it's fractions <laughs> cheaper. So 
um, or fractions of the cost. So yeah, one, I think the price is way too high in the US and it doesn't need to be. I really don't think it needs to be. And two, um, another appealing thing, the, the program I went to here is incredibly international. Um, I was one of the handful of Americans there. Um, there are students literally all over the world. There's students from the Philippines there. Um, so the, in terms of, uh, like the approach to learning, it's very multicultural from the start. Um, and also I think it's important with design, like, again, design affects different people differently. Um, and so to be able to really think about that and, and study that it's important that you're in a, in a room with different people. And I think the U S mindset tends to kind of be more narrow, like what is the, you know, American way of doing things um, or like designing things that only affect the U.S., whereas here it's more of like a globalized approach. How does it, you know, how do your designs affect people in different places? So, yeah, I think those two things. Mm -hmm. How about the testing? I, I know, you know, how Americans have standardized testing. What's, your, what's the difference with Prague uh, system? Uh, I also, I think in Europe, uh, there's less of an emphasis on grades and also what school you go to. Like in the U.S., it's like, oh, you know, the dream is to go to an Ivy League. And if you go to an Ivy League, you have access to all of the school or all of the uh, workplaces that you can apply to, right? Like, and then there, there's these networks that get you connected. Here, it's like, it doesn't matter where you went to school, like name doesn't mean anything. It's really like, I think there's more of an emphasis on like critical thinking um, rather than like concrete grades. And it's, this is, this is not, it's different for every country in Europe, obviously some, some probably em emphasize testing more, but at least what I'm seeing um, in kind of central Eastern Europe, it's, it's more of like that critical thinking creativeness rather than like pure test scores. Mm. Is there like, I'm sure there's some prejudice in Prague or where you are. This, what kind of, how does it differently? Do you feel welcome there or were the times that you're like, yo? Yeah. So interestingly, there's actually a really large Vietnamese community here. Um, like I see Vietnamese people just as often as I see Czech people here. Um, so I think people think I'm Vietnamese, which is honestly you could fine. Pass. You could right? pass. Like, I, I was like, that's, that's fine. But I actually, I talk about this a lot with my friends because I feel more American here than I do in America. And the reason being is that when people ask me, where are you from when I'm here, I just say, oh, I'm from the, I'm from the U.S., right? Because that's where my citizenship is. Um, and they don't question it. They're like, oh, cool, you know, from the U.S. And, but people ask me in the U.S., where are you from? They mean like, where are you originally from? Where is your heritage? You know, I can't just say what state I lived in, right? Like I can't just be like, oh, I'm from Georgia. No, what they really mean is like, I'm from the Philippines, you know? And then I have to do this whole explanation thing. So I think day to day, like I feel pretty welcome. I think uh, from my experience with Czech, it's really the language thing. If you don't know the language, it doesn't matter who you are. They're less open to you. So um, I try to 
speak Czech as much as I can, but obviously it's a difficult language. And so I, I fall short every time, but, you know, I think it's more of a language thing. Um, that's mm. a barrier. Same here in Quebec is a little bit of that, that yeah. you're not judged by the color of your skin, but what the words <laughs> that comes out from your mouth. <laughs> and so do you speak? Can you speak a little French? I, when I came here, I, I spoke a little bit because I was going to school and then I moved to a different company and it, I started working in an English company and that was that, man. I My French was like from kind of janky elementary to like toddler, you know? <laughs> I yeah. try, but it's just, like you said, confidence, right? Like comfortability, yeah. you know? And I'm not really in a position to... Uh, to have to learn because when I started here I used to work at this burger stand and I was working with this like Quebecois ladies I mean I'm talking about old granny ladies <laughs> and does not wo- speak a word of English oh my gosh wow right so I had to be I, had, I was forced to speak French which was yeah. good for me but bro I was like this I'm dying over here man yeah <laughs> I love languages though I do enjoy it but I don't know why but I think I hit my brain hit that age that like you know what dude the story is close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know we're not learning anything about this stupid thing. I'm you're good. Yeah, you know I feel like I'm the opposite. Like the older I get, I feel like the better I am in languages. Like I took French in college, two semesters of it. I can't speak French. I took two <laughs> semesters. I can't speak it. You know, and then now like. Because my husband's Polish and we spend like holidays in Poland with his extended family. So literally two weeks, don't not much English because they they mostly they only know Polish, really a few words in English, but mostly Polish. So literally two weeks, just Polish. And I I can understand really way better than I thought I, I, I ever could Polish, which is a difficult language as well. But I'm able to like pick up patterns and like pick up the tone and the like, code. I'm, I'm like going backwards exactly i'm going backwards the older i get the better i am but yeah yeah that's funny earlier you were talking about your for- workshop future with friendly people well what's <laughs> what's the story about this and why you started it yeah so when i was um in my master's program I ran workshops at conferences um, throughout Europe, so mostly uh, with academics, design practitioners, students. Um, So it was more of like a formalized design setting. And, you know, part of the reason why I started my Instagram was to democratize design and get normal people to think about design, think about the future and like feel like they have a say in that. So... I started thinking about a way to create workshops that included everyday people and do it in a way that didn't feel like you had to be a professional or had have to have a background in this to be able to design. So I kind of d- adapted a method I was using to make it more approachable. And this is why I call it Futures with Friendly People, because I think... One, I want to have it come from a place of joy. Like, I want this to be fun. I don't want this to be a serious thing. Um, It should be a place of, like, discovery and, like, going back to our childhood where we're thinking about different ideas and trying new things and being creative, right? And also, I think it's it's quite uh, intimidating to be in a workshop with strangers. You know, it's like, 
I always want to create a space that's like welcoming for people. And so this is why I'm like, this is futures with friendly people. We're all here because we're not jerks, you know, and we all like want the world to be a better place. So if you believe in that, this workshop is for you. So uh, I run these workshops online. Um, right now, there's like two different versions. One is uh, futures visions where we're basically doing digital collages. So if you think about like being a a kid and collaging using like magazines and stuff. That's literally what we're doing, but like on a digital whiteboard. And then I have another one called Future Stories, and that's creative writing. So you're writing flash fiction about the futures that that you want to happen. Um, so yeah, it's really just a way to involve everyone in the process of mm. thinking about the future. Very interesting. I, I like that. Sometimes I'm like, eh, should I join? And I'm like, I don't like groups. <laughs> Join, join. I'm trying. <laughs> I'll let you in. I'll All let right. you in. I'm, I, I'm not promising it. I don't like groups. It just like, it irks me so much. My level is three people. That's it. <laughs> go over that. I'm like, I gotta go, bro. Well, what is it about groups then? That you don't like? always going to be an asshole that will say <laughs> stupid shit. I'm like, bro, I got to the, go. I, okay, I've run three of these and we haven't had that person. So, well, maybe that's going to be me. <laughs> yeah, maybe actually, if this happens to you a lot. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> no I'm it's just kidding. Like, okay, so we have this like, well, I am, uh, by the way, but I'm like a dictator. So we have this three group of bikers. Like, I go cycling like uh -huh, okay. 100 kilometers, whatever. And one of my friends, he's super friendly. I hate this guy. He used to be a bartender. He loves everyone. I hate him, but I love him. And he always wants to like, oh, we should add people. I'm like, bro, if you want to start a group, you start a group. I'm going to bike myself. I'm not <laughs> adding no one. I, I have you and then this guy over here and then that's it. You're like, this works for a reason, okay? Why are you rocking the boat here? <laughs> exactly, you know? No, because it's just, especially, I'm not talking about, like, designers or whatever, the worship that you do. It's just, there's always going to be one that's going to be, like, soup, like, no, it should be this way. I'm like, my G, I got to go. Yeah, yeah. You know? Hey, but that's that's part of, like, I actually, like, like that. There's, mm. I've run workshops where people challenge what I say or challenge what other people say. And I'm like, mm. actually, I like this, you know, like this, yeah. this spices the group up a little bit because I don't want groupthink all the time. No, I, I like that too. I like challenging. Let's say in the group, I'm kind of like the, the leader, right? But I always ask people an opinion. Like I'll say like their opinion, like, yo, uh, it's either we're going to go left or we're going to go right. What's your opinion? I know what I'm going to say, but what's you're going to say? And then, you know, this, the reverse of like people that are not bossy, the one like, oh, I'm whatever, I'm whatever. <laughs> I hate those people too. Because I love hearing opinions. Yeah, yeah. You know, I like, tell me why am I might wrong. Why, yeah. Tell me. But see, then the group needs you. Groups need you then because most groups are like, oh, you know, they're trying to like please the group, but you actually have an opinion. So I think you should show up in groups more. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'll, I'm not going to promise, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. If I just vanish, means I left, you know, <laughs> but because I'm that's me. Like I just, I'm 41 years old. I don't have time. I'm halfway there. Yeah, I don't have time to waste. Okay, halfway there, really? You think eighties? <laughs> okay, you're the smart one. All right, like I said, 
An average Canadian man lasts up to 80 years old. Really? I'm 41. Wow. I'm right there. I'm, I'm like, getting there. I don't know. I feel like with AI, we're going to like vastly improve modern medicine. My uh, So my husband, is he turns actually 41 uh, next week, and he thinks he's going to be over 100. He's like, I'm fully convinced. And and my reaction is, do you want to be over 100? Yeah. Like you with the, wor- the way the world is going, I think I'm fine passing at like 90s, <laughs> maybe <Yeah>. 90. 90 <laughs> solid. 90 solid, 100 plus. Also, obviously, depends on the quality of life, right? Yeah. Like, if you're like 100 and you're bedridden, bro, pull the plug. You know exactly. what I'm saying? Exactly. It's like, yeah, do you want to keep going? Like, I got There's go. nothing, there's nowhere to go, but like literally the bed that you're sitting in. So, yeah. Uh, going back to your workshops, you said that there's like a group of design and then there's a group of creative writing and there's like a collage of like, whatever a digital uh, board do you just like hey let's create a robot today and i will throw blue arm no there's a very specific process that we go through so uh there's a method i've been developing since my master since honestly my first semester in my master's program it's called the phenomenon method and the reason i named it that is because i like the idea of phenomena like if you go to the, like the general, just the general definition of phenomena, it's something that is remarkable that just exists. And so, what the phenomena does is it's designing with values. So, typically with design, we're, we're it's a it's if you're doing the design thinking, it's like more of a complex uh, or it's an elevated problem solving process. Um, But what Phenomena tries to do is we're designing what are the core values you care about as a human being, right? So it might be joy, play, community. You know, these are values that already exist in our world. And this is why I call it Phenomena Method. These are values that already exist in our world. How do we figure out a way to repurpose, sustain these values and make sure that they're still present in the future? Because one of the things that I think about with design is that if we're just constantly designing to solve problems, I feel like we're going to be in a constant state of problem solving because new problems will always come up every single day. And we also don't know if our solutions are contribute to building a world that we want. It could just be solving a problem. And then we're like, actually, we don't like the way this solves the problem or this makes us feel bad or like this makes us addicted to technology. Right. So it's like it's not really a positive design solution. So what Phenomena does is it takes you through that process of how do you start with values and use values as a way to design. So part of it is uh, storytelling. And I always say storytelling is like the great equalizer. Like we all have stories to share. We love hearing stories, you know. So this is a way, this is a different way for us to be able to design and come up with ideas is telling stories. So there's a lot of storytelling in the process. But basically, yeah, we, we choose values that resonate with us. And then we create using those values. Mm, is it, so you plan it. It's a, it's free, right? Yeah, so they're paid the workshops. Mm, okay. Yeah, and it's a way from to for me to make it sustainable because again, it's not just we all show up and do whatever. There's a lot of planning that goes mm. into it, and yeah, yeah. Also, 
when it's free, people just like, I'll show up, but not really. Yeah, I did have a free, I ran a free workshop uh, a week ago because I wanted to make it more accessible for people. And there were like nine people who registered. They had to be admitted because I I wanted to make sure that they really wanted to be in this and they weren't just like, let me add myself to a list. So they had to like send in a short thing of why they wanted to apply. And then, but I basically approved everybody. Um, But then only two people showed up out of like the 10 that registered. Right. So it's like, I give options for free things, but, you know, and I sent emails saying, if you're going to not show up, cancel, because this is highly participatory. I need to know how many people are showing up. Um, But nobody, there was only one person, I think, who formally canceled. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. (laughs) Okay. Because of that, uh, I don't know, like, it didn't work out, right? I I wouldn't say it didn't work out. Well, but. no, for it did work out, but in a sense, like as a the amount of people, the amount yeah, of yeah. Uh, it wasn't what uh, I was expected for sure. Exactly, better word. Well, I just want to give the two people a shout out here that like it was quality over quantity in this one because the two mm. that showed up were amazing, mm. amazing, amazing. I actually almost cried in that session because of just mm. how amazing they were. So I just wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah. See, that's why I like small groups. Yeah. So then this is why that I was like, actually, it turned out okay that only two people showed up because I don't Mm. think we would have gone this deep and like gotten a chance to really know each other if there Mm. were actually 10 people on this call. Yeah. See, if there's a lot of group, there's going to be voices. People are talking over each other. It's like, you know, when you're sitting on the table with your family and they're just just missing the whole time. There's like four conversations going on. Nothing's happening. Yeah. So I'm like, no, let's have one or two or three, and then we'll talk. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't like surface conversation. Yeah. It's, I, for me, my mind's like, this is boring. There's nothing happening here. I'm not learning anything. Yeah. I don't think anyone does, but, you know, it always no, no, somehow. No, 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 no. There are some people that really? love surface. You think? Oh, yes. I know a few people that are like, yo. And I, again, I'm the the rude one that will say, this is the most boring story I've ever heard. <laughs> Do not tell me that again. You wasted my time. You say this with strangers too? I, like if I'm not, not straight up stranger, if it's stranger, I'll just walk away. But if it's like someone like I'm close to, I'm like, can you please get to the point? Because you're boring me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you need that sometimes. Some people just talk and talk and there's no purpose. Yeah. You, you need like, to... You know, steer the car in the the right direction. Yeah, with, especially with my brain, it's like there's a problem. Let's fix it. It's fixed. Let's move on. I don't need to talk about the problem again. Yeah, yeah. You know, in the designs, how does it work? Do you guys once you create something, uh, we saw the result. Do you guys still talk about the result, or you just move on to the next one? So. The kind of design thinking process basically is like you gather in the beginning, there's four steps to it. In the beginning, you, or five, I guess you could say, you gather as much information as you can in the beginning. And then you like condense all of those ideas into like things that you can test. And then you test those ideas. 
um, with people. So whether that's like, I'm creating a new website, so let me test, let me build a prototype of this website and test with users and get feedback on it. And then you improve. And generally, this is where it stops. Like, then it's like, okay, I've already tested, improved on the designs, it's finished, and then you deliver it. But I, and there's some designers that talk a lot about this is like that long-term impact of designs. So I actually think it's important to still go back to what you've designed and figure out a way to continuously improve it because there are things that you didn't catch the first round. Um, so it's important that we keep going back. And this is true, I think, especially for the phone. Um, you know, the whole, the whole, I think the big reason why we're addicted to our phone was like one feature and that's the endless scroll, right? There's never a, a bottom to it. It's bottomless. You just keep going and going forever, basically. There's only been like, I think a few times on Facebook where they're like, that's all. Like, have you ever gone there? Yes. Like Facebook sometimes we're like, that's it. That's all we can show you today. You've gone I'm to like, the end. What? No, I want more. Yeah, but see exactly this whole reaction of like, wait, what? Like, how did I get to the end? But if you think about the early days of the internet, you know, you have to go to press page two, page three, page four, even the early, like, I think Instagram was like that, right? You have to like, and people would stop because they don't want to keep pressing the page. But this endless scroll, right, made us stay on our phones like 10 times more. And it's like, yeah, we need to revisit that and 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 think about was this a good design choice? <laughs> <laughs> yeah know? i guess it's good for the company but bad for people yes <laughs> like who is this really for <laughs> yeah you know you know where that idea came from right mm, what do you mean? Scroll? maybe not it's from the slot machine aha uh -huh. no i didn't know that yeah see so you they... taught me something hey sometimes you know <laughs> sometimes but yeah apparently it's from the slot machine because you, you know people that plays in vegas or like video like yeah, uh, slot uh -huh. machine they'll just like boom, 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 play and play and play endlessly yeah so it was literally created to be addicting yeah because you know when you're like oh i want to i don't i want to refresh my page you just do one of these and it yeah. just refresh yeah. Also, I find it funny that, okay, so I'm still from the generation where this means phone. Now it's this, right? And I'm like, wow, this is just so, that to me is mind blowing. <laughs> yeah. I, you know what's so funny? I did that test last night to my wife and my son. Yeah. My wife was like this, like a fist, like picking up the phone like this. And then my son was like, he was holding the phone like this. Like he's uh -huh, holding an iPhone, okay. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it wasn't as bad. Like, you know, people do this, like the finger, the thumb and the pinky. Yeah. But they're like, and my son was like, why are you doing a fist? And my, my <laughs> wife's like, because you're picking up the phone. <laughs> it's like, what are you picking up? That's not a phone. <laughs> I, there's one thing I love about having these kids and me. Our age is not that far apart, to be honest, but... I love that their future. I could see their future. Yeah, and they always they have the window to the past. Like, like the other day, we saw a reel about this guy in his car took out the radio. Remember? I do. I don't know mm -hmm. if you remember. You used mm -hmm. to take out the radio because people mm -hmm. steal them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My my son's like, why would he take out the radio? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because back in the days, it's very expensive. People. Goes in your car and steal the radio. And yeah. he goes, well, what are you going to do with the radio? You're going to go uh, walk around with it? I said, yeah, pretty much. 
Yeah, like when I was car shopping, like buying a used car, it was important. Like, how's the radio? Does the radio work? Like, I need to know, you know? That it's was important. very integral, man. <laughs> hey, listen, Ruth, I think we're there. But before we close up, I want to ask you this one more question. How do we plan for the future while enjoying the present? Mm, that's a good question. Um, you know, one of the things with my workshops, people, the thing that keeps popping up and it's the same phrase over and over is that I feel anxious about the future. Um, and I think that's like a general sentiment that we all, ha all have with the current state of the world. I think the biggest thing is reminding ourselves that there are good things in the world. Um, and this is what I try to, when I'm designing, this is what I try to focus on is that the values that we care about um, and the things that we care about, they exist. It might be in small pockets, but we need to figure out a way to like amplify that, you know? So like whether that's hang like spending an hour just hanging out with friends or like watching a comfort television, I don't know, like it could literally could be anything. And we need to like place focus on those like little things that maybe we take for granted every single day, but that actually bring us a lot of like joy and peace um, and all these values that we like. So focusing on in the present, the things that already exist that we like. Um, and then maybe that'll help when we're thinking about the future, if we're, we feel anxious about it. Mm. Wise word from a wise woman. Again, Ruth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. Awesome. Have a good day. Yes, you too. Bye. Bye. Again, Ruth, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, listeners, for listening. This is Aaron DeLiosa for An Immigrant's Life. I'll see you guys later. <laughs>